Hi, everyone. Please consider leaving us a review where you listen to the podcast and also subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. We would also love for you to consider joining the She Speaks community. It's free to join, and you'll get the chance to have first access to surveys, giveaways, product reviews, sampling opportunities, and great content like this podcast. Visit SheSpeaks.com to join and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at She Speaks Up. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're all having a great week so far. So this episode is one that I think you're going to love. I loved having this conversation with our guest, Chloe Dolce Luvuezo, and she is the author of Life I Swear, Intimate Stories from Black Women on Identity, Healing, and Self-Trust. She is also the producer and host of the Life I Swear podcast, where she explores themes of Black identity, mental wellness, and healing. And we had, Chloe and I had such an amazing conversation about how you really discover what it is that you should do. And this is one of those things that I think as women, we are constantly reassessing as life evolves and we evolve. We are always trying to figure out, okay, what is it that I'm doing now? Is this the right thing for me to be doing? Should I be changing up what I'm doing? And it doesn't have to be huge changes. It just could be some area of your life that you want to start doing something new and really discover how to continue to evolve and uh, find those things that bring you joy and happiness and contentment. So we talk about how you discover what you want to do. We talk about the stories that we tell ourselves and the power of us recognizing our stories and what that can do for us in our lives. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I really enjoyed having it with Chloe. Uh, So sit back and here we go. Welcome to the show, Chloe. Thank you so much for having me, Elisa. I'm delighted to talk with you because I was telling you right before we started that I watched a few of the interviews you'd done and in preparation for this. And the thing that I took away from it was that you have a beautiful ability to share stories and to share, of course, your own story, which we're going to hear today. Mm -hmm. But there is something about how you speak and the words you use that made me feel like, as you said, like you're giving us all a hug. So thank mm. you for that. I want to start by saying thank you. I felt like I had a nice hug this morning before we got on the phone. Oh, I so appreciate that. It's um, it's just so so nice to know that the the intent in which you want to be received is actually received on the other end, and so um, it just it it, it just is a, a good launching pad for connection. Yeah. Well, let's get into uh, you and the book. You've written this amazing book called Life, I Swear. And I really want to understand, I'm hoping you can share with our audience, what inspired you to write the book? I was asked that question um, just this past weekend. And I think for me, it was um, a reckoning, uh, a reckoning in life. It felt like, you know, you spend so much time in life and years and investment of your energy into building a life that um, you have faith will go as you had planned. Um, And so 
bef- the year before I decided and committed to writing, um, I had kind of this reckoning. Everything that I had thought would work out just didn't. Um, and that included uh, relationship, that included family. I, I had a, a 27-week pregnancy loss that included friendships kind of going awry and trying to navigate them as they were being tested in my time of need. And so I the only way I knew how to make sense of it all was to put pen to paper. Um, and really starting to do that for myself initially, it was just, it's always been a practice for me to write. And it had been something that I had as you get busy, you kind of get distanced from the things that keep you centered. But it was a time of my life um, in 2019 where I really needed to just use and leverage every single tool that was available to me. Um, You know, I had tried therapy. I had tried, um, you know, all the the go-to kind of self-care resources that we use. Writing was a default when everything else um, kind of didn't feel like it was making as much traction as I needed in that moment. I had taken a year-long sabbatical from work um, following that sequence of losses. And so it was interesting being out. And this was the year prior to the pandemic. I was at home while everyone else was working. And so I had time. I had time to just really be honest with myself. And that was the, I guess, the challenge that I had given myself on paper because I think having built up so much pride and stubbornness and, um, to be honest, shame, I wasn't honest with myself. I wasn't honest with my therapists. Um, I wasn't transparent or vulnerable with my friends and, and other people who actually were close to me and who deserved to know what was going on so that they could be there for me. And so, I mean, I knew that, you know, growth starts with breakthrough and breakthrough can't happen without honesty because I think I had been living a life, um, particularly in a, a toxic relationship where denial became my friend. And so being very honest was a starting point for me. Um, it led to a book because as I was honest with myself, um, and I had always kind of uh, bucket listed writing a book and writing an anthology of uh, essays, curating an anthology of essays from other women, it felt like the perfect time to do this because vulnerability was really starting to help me see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so I invited other women to do the same in their own stories um, I wanted it to be bigger than myself, partially because I had imposter syndrome of my story not being um, enough, um, which every single contributor um, helped me shatter that <laughs> that myth. But also knowing that I wanted to tell a story larger than my own. My own is interesting and unique, as you know, as you know, you've read the book, but um, there's so many, if we're going to tell a larger story about identity, healing, and self-trust, um, and 
hopefully with the intent of it informing other women journey um, and helping other women feel seen and understood. You have to do that by representing all the many layers that we are. And so it made sense to, to curate a book that had multiple, multiple experiences reflected in it. Yeah. And I, I want to just highlight one of the things you said about being honest with ourselves Mm -hmm. and the value of writing as a method to doing that. I think many people think, oh, well, I've tried the therapy. I've tried the uh, traditional self-care ideas, as you mentioned, but it wasn't working for me. Mm -hmm. And this idea of writing, and and I want to I want to make sure that we explain to to listeners, this doesn't mean you're writing for the purpose of writing a book. You Mm -hmm. could be just journaling, writing your thoughts down. There is something about that first having a practice of writing maybe um, every day, a few times Mm -hmm. a week, just making it a habit and making it a practice because it is, it, I have personally found, and it sounds like you have, have found the same thing, that writing is such a wonderful way to get in touch with what's going on with us mm-hmm. and to bring that honesty with ourselves. Mm-hmm. You, your book has, um, people have described your book as mm-hmm. an inspiration for women to do the work that you we were put here to do. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how women who might be listening to this, if they're struggling with understanding, how do I get in touch with what is, what is the work that I was put here to do? Is there, do you have any tips or suggestions for women for how they might be able to better get in touch with that? Mm. Yeah. Let's start with what is the, what is the work that we were put here to do? I think I mean, we're, we're all, we all have our, our gifts that we were born into and that we discover in life, um, you know, but life, I swear, <laughs> life happens. And sometimes we get disconnected from, um, from what lights us up. I think what we are put here to do is to do the thing that lights us up. And that's the best way we can contribute to the world. Um, I, I work in a, in a space of, um, of impact and philanthropy. And um, my day job is uh, very tapped into identifying the biggest challenges in the world and um, working with partners to um, identify the best solutions. But we can't do that on an individual level if I think of it in terms of our spiritual pores being clogged up. We can't even tap into what lights us up Mm. and then what we can give to what lights us up if we are bogged down and we have kind of this cloud hovering over us. We need to break the clouds. Um, And I think of it in terms of, you know, life being, I'm a creative and so Every metaphor is is how I kind of translate and make sense of life. But I think of, you know, our life is a blank canvas and we really have the opportunity to design the life we want. And, and my hope is that what we are put here to do is 
kind of deepen our own sense of humanity so that we can make meaningful contributions to the world. But we, I, I, the metaphor that I typically default to is we're all carrying around very heavy purses. And so the writing for me in a very honest way is let's like dump our purses on the table, take what we don't want so that we're not carrying that heavy weight, be very selective, very intentional. And in real life, that translates to setting boundaries, being honest, um, and being kind of guard keepers for what serves us and what doesn't and what inspires us to relentlessly pursue the thing that lights us up. And so by kind of wiping the table or clearing the canvas, we just have more space and more clarity to know what our gifts are, to name them. And that goes hand in hand with naming our needs so that we can be our best selves. Um, And so the practice of writing for me is let me put all my stuff on paper and let me you know, as I'm journaling through my experiences, let me start to pick up on the the thought patterns, the habits, the the negative narratives that I've been regurgitating to myself that have clogged my spiritual pores. Mm-hmm. You know, and so in my writing, um, and it, I mean, subconsciously I knew, but at the top of my mind, I hadn't connected the dots to this relationship is very hand in hand and very familiar because it reminds me very much of my, how my father acted or, um, you know, I was able to connect childhood wounds to adult behavior. Mm. Um, in doing so, I was able to take accountability, um, which is hard to do when you are living in denial. Mm. Um, it's hard to do when you're not allowing yourself to be vulnerable Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, it's the accountability is what role do I play and have I played in my life, not attaching shame to the fact that I had some missteps in life, but by identifying my own behaviors, my own patterns and what I have done or have not done, that actually gives me control to know that. I actually have the agency to shift some of those thought patterns that inform some of those decisions. And now I can recognize that there is possibility in my growth because I actually, I do have the reins on this. I've been steering it left, but I, I won't anymore, but I have the reins to steer it. Right. And so I think there is a lot of personal responsibility that can happen in naming your role in some of the things that you have done while also coupling it with forgiveness, you know, yes. That yes. make space for those too, but you can be responsible for your actions and, and recognize your behaviors and also forgive your younger self for them. Mm-hmm. Understand that she operated from a place of pain, from a place of insecurity, from a place of just being very impressionable to societal messages or gender norms. Um, so we can have all of those conversations and say, okay, now's the time to do something about it um, and to kind of start to veer in a different direction. 
Okay. So when you were talking, I, uh, I started writing down, when you started talking about taking accountability, I wrote down on my notes that accountability can be a very difficult thing to, to do, right? Because then you're like holding yourself responsible. Mm -hmm. But what I have found in my life is that by holding myself responsible, it's actually one of the most liberating things because it shows me that if I have personal agency and I wrote down personal agency, and then you, that you mentioned personal agency by having that personal agency, taking, having the realization that we can control what happens to us, maybe not every single thing that happens to us, but we can, we can control how we react to it. We can control what we push out, right? You can't control maybe what's coming at us, Mm -hmm. but we can can control how we react to it and how we respond to it and push out what we are going to do with, with, with Mm -hmm. our time on this earth, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it is one of the things that I have found to be incredibly liberating. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a very hard thing to feeling helpless. Yeah. Is I think one of the worst feelings in the world, feeling like all of this stuff Mm -hmm. is happening to me and I can't get beyond it. Mm -hmm. And I remember I read this book by a Holocaust survivor, Dr. Edith Eager, and she said that even in the in the heart of her time being in, in the Auschwitz, one of the concentration camps, uh, with you know obviously very difficult circumstances, she had she had a recognition in her mind that even though they could physically hurt her, mm-hmm. make her life very physically difficult, they couldn't control what was going on in her mind. Mm-hmm. Only she could. If she allowed, mm-hmm. she allowed them to, then they would. But if she did it, if she said to herself, "What I, what happens in my head is what I choose," I mean, that is just such yeah. a great example. I think mm-hmm. of what you're talking about with personal agency, and Absolutely. that that ability to do to do that, to take control over what happens to you, mm-hmm. is one of the most, as I said, liberating experiences mm-hmm. um, and can really free you from that story that yeah. you tell yourself, right? Absolutely. I, and I think we that's what happens to us as human beings, as women. And I'd love if you could talk about that a little bit, because I think the heart of what your your book does and what the, some of the work that you do, you you've said that one of your missions is to help people be able to tell their stories mm-hmm. and th- this, this notion of getting in touch with that. Can you talk a little bit of the, about the value of being our own storytellers mm-hmm. and what that can do for us? And what yeah. does it mean? I guess maybe first, what does it mean to be your own storyteller? Yeah. Um, so I want to, I want to kind of double click on, on what you just shared this very hard challenge to remain centered and remain true um, to yourself and your the ecosystem that you're trying to build within yourself that is surrounded around your own value and your steadiness is hard when everything else feels like it's going through an earthquake. I often, um, and actually in the book, I, um, I describe that as building a home within ourselves and coming home to ourselves and 
there can be chaos on the street and there can be so many things and factors and elements um, that happen outside of our head and hearts that we cannot control. And so it, I want to recognize easier said than done. But when we think of that centering as building a home within ourselves, mm. um, and I, I have a, a piece in the book around coming home to ourselves, that is essentially creating this space where you are validated, you are affirmed, you are safe, you are um, you are given the the freedom, like you mentioned, to be who you are, create as you'd like, dream as big and possible as you can, um, and make mistakes and not be punished for them. That is the home that we all have to create within ourselves. And so it's it's just like family. I think for me, family was not a consistent and um, really deep-seated stake in my ground growing up. And so I had to um, really create that home within ourselves. But when we think about family, it's, it's who we feel most authentic with. And so... But I do want to recognize how hard that is to do when everything else is there's a hurricane outside the doors. Um, but you had asked about storytelling, what that really means and uh, narrating our own lives. I think, and that, it's not even just an opinion, I, it is true. And we, there is so much power in language and it is how brainwashing happens one way or the other, you know? And so we are, we are sponges are, I think so often we, everyone has this natural um, instinctive animalistic desire for belonging, you know, and we, we, we latch on to narratives um, that are formed or given to us or inherited that tell us who we are, that tell us what we're capable of. Mm -hmm. And just like children, we, you say them long enough, they become reality one way or the other. And for so many of us, especially women, um, especially women of color, um, and especially just young people who are not like nurturing and love is not poured into them, words become reality. Um, perception becomes reality. And our identities form half based on how we see ourselves, but the other half really based on how the world sees us and the world's narrative of of where we belong. And so I think of storytelling as at its simplest form, changing the language we are using on ourselves. And we have to be very careful with how we speak to ourselves because there is so much power in it. Um, when I think about storytelling, it is it is what words am I using? Literally down to the words. Then we can work on the sentences, the phrases, and the full story. But let's start with the words. And my background is in communications and journalism. I've been working in 
communications for the past 15 years. And so as an editor, every single word counts, right? Because <laughs> it can change the whole definition of what you're trying to say, particularly if we're trying to be thoughtfully inclusive around the implications of words. But when you think about, for example, um, you know, just having an asset-based framing around you, your life, and the community in which you are around or not around, not familiar with, but so often like deficit framing is applied to the language that we use to ourselves and to other people. I find storytelling not just, and, and this kind of language being very specific in language, not just important to ourselves, but in, for ourselves in our own personal development and recognition of our own value, but also in the connections that we make with other people. Um, when you blow it up from just the, the, the words and the language that we use and assign to ourselves, we also do the same assigning when applying to other people. Yes. When you think about how we forgive ourselves, our ability or inability to figure to forgive ourselves, there's a, a there's a dotted line in in our ability to forgive other people, and so yes. our ability to to kind of nurture our younger selves, mm -hmm. despite choices that she may or may not have made, or situations she was thrust in or put in, um, it when that's not intact, our judgment of other people you know, remains uninterrupted, you know? And so I think that storytelling for ourselves is really important because if we do this work mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and thorough and um, very intentional, it allows us to build empathy as it relates to our relationships with other people and how we see our other people um if we're judging ourselves we're definitely judging other people oh yeah you know? and so for me this is not just about individual healing but it's also about collective healing as well i love that you're you're talking about this because you've mentioned it a few times this idea of our younger selves and the mistake that she's the mistakes she made along the way uh, one of the questions I love to ask people on the show is, um, what do you wish you could tell your younger self that mm. was just starting out? And one of the best answers that I've ever had to that mm. question was another author that I had on who taught, who said, you know, I just wish I could go back to my younger self and give her a hug mm -hmm. because we tend as women, we tend to beat ourselves up for everything, right? You talked about shame a few times. We just go back and we're like, why did I do that? Why did I make that decision? Why did that happen? Mm -hmm. um, and why did I do that? And, you know, this idea that, you know, we are so critical of our younger mm -hmm. selves. I see it in my daughters who mm -hmm. are not yet young, you know, they're growing up, but they're not yet mm -hmm. women. And, I even think that they they look they'll look back at a picture of themselves from a few years ago and think, why did I dress that way? Why did I do that? And so it's a it's a pattern. Yeah. I talked about this too that we start to tell ourselves a story, and that's yeah. the story that we believe. 
we can, so if people think of that that way, right, this idea that perception becomes reality, right? The stories we tell ourselves, we can either tell ourselves a positive story, giving grace, a forgiving story that, you know, not being so critical, or we can tell ourselves the other story, Mm -hmm. which is, why did you do that? Yeah. You know, you should feel shame for having done that. So there is this idea, I think, that we have to explore more, which as women, as human beings, uh, that, mm-hmm. you know, we need to give ourselves grace. Mm-hmm. And your point about if you give yourself grace, it'll be a practice mm-hmm. that you then extend to others. It becomes part of who we are. And to me, the idea of karma, it, it's not just like this, you know, very nebulous thing that's kind of out here in the, you know, in the, in the atmosphere. It's this idea that how we behave Mm -hmm. and how we think becomes what happens to us and what you feed yourself, the stories about ourselves that we feed ourselves, all of the things, right? Mm -hmm. We are. And I love that you're exploring this. So I want to, to shift, if we can, a little bit to the open door concept. Can you talk about what is the open door concept? And can you talk about maybe one of your favorite events that you've done? Mm, yeah. So I I co-founded Open Door Concept. I don't know. How, when I think about it, it was really crazy. because it, it, we, um, we started the business um right before, I think the month before my book came out. So um, it's been a whirlwind. (laughs) Um, But we started it under the pillars of conversation, creativity, community. It is a space. And I think of back to kind of how we started the conversation. I love to create space for other people to feel like they have this blank canvas and they can make the most of it. Um, and they can design the the life that feeds them. They can build connections. They can um, see themselves in their own work and each other's work and it all be reflected. Um, I do this through storytelling, but having a physical space, um, having a place where all of that can happen in real life, especially post-COVID, I use post in parentheses, (laughs) but that was important to me because, you know, even as I was uh, doing book tour, I I realized just how powerful, and I think I had forgotten because of COVID and because of the year off prior to COVID, how important in-person connection is. Mm. And so this space, it's a creative space. It's a a rentable venue for intimate gatherings, um, production and other creatives who are doing storytelling and like to, but I love the idea of also using it to bring people together under this idea. The open open door came to us because we have an open door policy. We want to be as inclusive to anyone who is mutually equally looking to connect, to leave the space with one more connection, one more revelation, one more aha moment um, than they came with. I have gotten really excited about a series that I've been doing. We're moving on to our third installation now, but it will be, it's a six part series. It's called Writer's Room. And one thing that has just 
I've discovered and become absolutely passionate about since putting out the book and since curating a collection of 25 other women is that not all of us are writers by trade. I just happen to be. But that does not take away from the fact that every single person has an amazing story to tell. And if I were to tell my younger self something, it is that your story is qualified. We are all qualified to tell our stories. And so often we think that we're only qualified until we have a period at the very last sentence of the of the story. When we have a conclusion, when we have a lesson learned, when we have um, when we're in a position to tell the story in retrospect, right? And we often like oppress the storytelling until it is done and final and complete. And we can say, I've moved on and I'm just telling you what happened. Yes. But that is not life. Life, it, we are always in the middle of a story. Yes. Always in the middle of a story. Yes. <laughs> it never ends. It does not end. And we are in the middle of our ancestor stories. Mm. Um, we are, you know, just there are ebbs and flows. And just mm. because we've hit a high does not mean that anything is guaranteed that we won't continue mm. to ebb and flow. I want us to get familiar, comfortable, and confident telling our story when we're in the middle of it. Yes. And I think for me, that's what why putting my book together was so powerfully healing for myself because many of the stories I was still in the middle, even though the events of them had happened in the past, I was still in the middle of processing them, mm-hmm. knowing that my love story doesn't stop and end with one individual um, or one relationship. My love story is my relationship with love and everyone I'm in relationship with is a character of my love story. I am the main character. And so I, I want us to think of us being the main characters of our story, centering ourselves in the events that are happening to us and the revelations that we are experiencing knowing that life came before, life will continue, and we are qualified no matter where we are on the spectrum of the journey to tell it in real time. And so this practice of building community, um, which I've been doing um, since in the past few years, but this Writer's Room series is bringing together writers that I love who have different approaches, different practices to the idea of healing through storytelling. And really it's the invitation for other women. Men are invited to, it just so happens. It's always a room of women coming together. Some who are journaling, some who are just getting started, some who have retired from their writing practice and are wanting to revisit it at a key moment in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's not the end outcome, like you said, is not about authoring and publishing a book. It is about starting with yourself, being present, mm-hmm. being centered, being honest, being vulnerable. And let's see, when we do those things, let's see what lands on the page. And you can keep it for yourself or you can share it, but hopefully yeah. it kind of is a needle forward for you. 
Yeah. And you've said, this is making me think about something you, that you've talked about in terms of the process of writing life. I swear you said that there was shame in writing it, Mm. but in the editing of it, there was pride and there was peace. And I just, that resonated with me Mm. so much because I haven't written a book, but I do the journaling I do. And it's a more recent practice for me. And there is something about when you're writing it, you're kind of overwhelmed with the emotion. Yeah. Then when you go back and you start to look at it, Mm -hmm. and I do think that that's a big benefit of of journaling, of doing Mm -hmm. any kind of writing is that you can go back and look at it and edit and think about Mm -hmm. it. There is something about that that can that can bring that pride and peace yes. that you talked about. So I love that. Yes. I, I I'm so grateful, Chloe, for all of <laughs> your time and, and amazing work that you're doing. Can you tell people you also have an amazing podcast that mm-hmm. is of the same name, Life I Swear, yes. where you share stories of women. You do more of what you've what you did in the book. Can you tell people what is the best way for them to follow you if they would like to do that and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, the best way I would say either my website, which is just chloelevoiseau.com, but also my Instagram. I'm I'm a little Instagram shy. I only really share when I actually have something to say, (laughs) but I do. um, I I definitely keep in touch there, but I, the the website is where you can subscribe to my newsletter to learn about new episodes, book developments, events, um, and anything I'm excited about. (laughs) Chloe, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to our show. And if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is just to leave us a five-star rating wherever you listen to the show. You don't have to write a review. You can just leave us one of those five-star ratings. And that is really the best way to support the show so we can bring you more great content. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you're an influencer or a brand that wants to work with us, please feel free to email us at info at Until next time.